Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church for counseling and discipleship. I'm your host, Mike Van Dyke, followed by Shauna Van Dyke and Jeremy Lellick. Jeremy and Shauna, we are back in studio, and today we are going to be focusing on the distinct role of the sun in biblical counseling. So with that, Jeremy, you want to take it off? Sure. You know, I think just as a, a recap somewhat is uh, to talk about the, the reality that when we are working as biblical counselors, we're working in reference to God. And he's revealed himself in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And John Frame in his uh, Systematic Theology book talks about the economic trinity, and that, that when I came across that, that was very fascinating to read what that is, how, how that's defined, and how that in, interrelates with biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he says that it's the Trinity in its relation to creation, including the specific roles played by the Trinitarian persons throughout the history of creation, providence, and redemption. And he cites 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect of the dispersion of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with his blood. Mm -hmm. And he basically summarizes that down to this. The Father plans, the Son executes the plan, and the Spirit applies the plan. And I think it's, it's fascinating how that is extremely relevant to the biblical counseling process. And I think today we are going to hone in on how the son has executed that plan. Very good. Very good. So is it bad that I got lost on the names of the cities? Those are so complicated. You did so well in in pronouncing those. I'm like, what happened to (laughs) the the normal Keller, Fort Worth, Dallas? You know, they're so easy. Anybody can pronounce it. So reading it. Unless you're talking to somebody in Africa or Asia Minor or somebody back in these times. I don't care. Keller? Yeah, I know, right? Well, I I love the thought that um, you can get a map and you can actually see where these cities are on the map. And so as you read scripture, it really just brings a visual to it. Uh, there's actually, um, and this is so random and I'm kind of going on another track, but have you ever, have you all seen the visual theology book by Tim Challies? Yeah. It yes. is so cool. Yes. Like I'm a visual learner, not mm-hmm. just audio, even though I know we have audio listeners here. So thank y'all for listening. But uh, if you are a visual person too, uh, that's such a good book. And so anyways, I just kind of got sidetracked there listening to him read those cities and just thinking, Ooh, I want a map right now. <laughs> so anyway, kind of corny, but it's good. It's on the back of your study Bible though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Anyway, let's get back to, let's get back to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I center on Jesus yeah. always. Okay. So um, when we think about the Trinity, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible as it relates to God's activity in our lives is found in uh, Romans chapter 8, starting in verses 26 through 39. Mm. And there, you know, Paul draws back the curtain and he gives us a, just a small glimpse of some of what the Trinity is doing on the behalf of the believer and one of those things, towards the end, he talks about the reality that the Son is interceding for us 
uh, at the right hand of God moment by moment. And one of the ways that I think that he's interceding is just the fact that he's there in his resurrected body. That's yeah. just a, a powerful symbol that it is finished. There's one... To tell us die. It is finished. Yeah, Greek, Greek term for it is That's finished. good. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And a hymn, a hymn that captures what that might look like was written by Charles Wesley, and it says this, Five bleeding wounds he bears receive on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let the ransomed sinner die. Mm. So just the resurrected Christ sitting at the throne of God and, and his scars reminding the Father, I've, I have finished the plan. I have com- completed the plan for my people. Mm, that's good. Since you said it was a hymn, you don't want to re-sing that for us? Versus I, I better not it. do that. Yeah, I don't have a singing voice either. No, that's that's a that's a beautiful reality. You know, here we are actually on Saturday, tomorrow's Easter. Yes. Tomorrow's Resurrection Ooh. Sunday. And one of the amazing things about Jesus on the cross and when he makes those final statements, I thirst because he knew his work was done. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he knew that work was done. And so I thirst is him not just capturing, you know, a Psalm that David wrote Psalm 69 or Psalm 23 or these other Psalms um, that Jesus, you know, would often quote and actually quoted on the cross, but it's not just these pithy little statements he makes from scripture. It's actually the totality of scripture mm-hmm. that he actually accomplished the entire work prophet priest and king yes so when he's when he's actually on the cross and he's he's making those statements that's the king on the cross mm. that it's just beautiful when you think about him fulfilling those three offices prophet priest and king and those those psalms that he's speaking from the cross is demonstrating that he is that davidic king mm-hmm. and it is it is it is finished it is to your point, he's at the right hand of the Father interceding, uh, that high priestly. It's not just one time or, you know, daily coming with sacrifice like in the Old Testament. Uh, so just the the biblical theology and the reality behind that and what Christ is accomplishing on the cross and how that actually comes center stage into our counseling room. Absolutely. Yeah. And a, a thing that I see all the time with people that I'm counseling is they're trying to encounter the change process or engage the change process, forgetting the full finished work of Christ upon the cross on their behalf. And so it, it really becomes or can become, if they're not careful, uh, this focus on becoming a better Christian and often for the sake of being okay with the Father. Right. And that's a common thing. I counsel Christians all, all over Fort Worth and Dallas area from all different kinds of denominations. Yep. And it's so easy to forget in the process of change or in the process of struggle, even if that struggle is sin, it's too easy to forget that Christ has already done everything necessary for us to be acceptable to the Father. Jesus is enough. That's what I always say. We even had a shirt made about that, of just remembering that when you're saying that, oh, it, that he, he forgave them, but he hasn't forgiven me, or this mm-hmm. or this is too big, um, or even when we have doubts about things are going on in our life, I'm, I'm saying, well, what are you really saying when you say that about this circumstance? What you're saying is what Jesus did on the cross isn't actually enough. That's and right. as we know, it is. That's and so right. therefore, it puts it back in right perspective and and what's going on in our heart. Yeah, and that's uh, and when we talk about what does that look like in counseling, when Christ accomplished that, really what that is is the work that was accomplished. That So when, when God the Father 
made all of those uh, those statements in Jeremiah 32, for example, with the new covenant that he'll make with his people in Ezekiel 36, mm-hmm. where God is saying, um, I'm not doing this on your account. I'm doing this for my namesake. Mm-hmm. I will give you a new spirit. I will write my law on your heart. It's God doing all of those things. And he's saying that knowing umpteen years later, he would fulfill that through the son. That is just when you, when you put that meta narrative together and realize, so when second Corinthians talks about you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, like that's what, that's where we start. And mm-hmm. just trying to remember our, our people when they're coming into counseling, uh, assuming they're believers is reminding them of that fact or second Peter one, three through, I think 18 is just, you've, you've already been given everything pertaining to the life and godliness. Yes. It's, it's, it's already yours. Press into it. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's a good point. Yeah. Well, you have that shirt on today that says "debt free" with Colossians two fourteen. Yeah, he literally nailed it to the cross. Yeah. So let me read that. It says in in, in uh, Colossians, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the er- uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses, not just some, but all, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Amen. What Jesus did is enough. Yeah. Speaking of that, I think, Jeremy, you wanted to go into Ephesians 2 as well, Ria. Yes. So, you know, when we think about the idea of Christ and what he's accomplished for us, it, it really creates a big God theology that it's it's already done. And the same goes when it comes, you know, we did not bring ourselves into the kingdom of God. According to Paul in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses. I've heard people talk about that verse saying, you know, we weren't people at the top of the ocean waving our hands for a life raft. And if we'll just grab that life raft, we will be saved. Uh, we were floating corpses in the ocean. Mm. And it took a miracle the greatest miracle that the heart will ever experience, that God in his mercy made us alive and gave us a faith to believe mm-hmm. and to, to recognize that, that we've been brought from death to life by the mere mercy or the exclusive mercy of God alone is something that, that again, can give us some assurance that this journey from salvation to glory is something that God is in control of and that God himself will accomplish. So that's the greatest heart change that we'll ever experience is when we were brought from death to life. So when we're trying to get over other heart issues like anxiety, depression, addiction, we should anchor our hope in change in the fact that God himself initiated the greatest change that our heart will ever go through. Mm-hmm. That's so good. So in Ephesians 2, just something to, to press into on that uh, when it comes to, to Christ and the reality of that, trying to help uh, our counselees get beyond the earthly scope of circumstance and getting them to focus on what does it really mean to be in Christ, right? So uh, Ephesians 2, 6, and, ri- and we were raised up with him uh, and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, Jeremy, like you said, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is where we begin to shift the conversation with our counselees when we're beginning to look at the economical reality of the Trinity is, 
okay, yeah, I understand, you know, you're, you're dealing with depression and anxiety and all of those are present realities and let, let's walk through that. Um, but let me remind you where you're going. Like what you're going through is for a particular reason and God's going to use it so much so that Ephesians two tells us that, uh, being his workmanship, that we were created for good works. Mm-hmm. We're not coming to Christ. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by Christ for good works. So God, the father is bringing this because he's given us a work to do. And more often than not, when people are coming to us, all they're so focused on their present circumstance that they're not, they're, they're so nearsighted in their pursuits that they're not realizing that the work that God has given them, that's not even a thought in their mind, mm. you know? And so mm. coming back to the point of the, of the topic of just realizing Christ and what he accomplished and what that, the implication of what that means in our counseling space. And then just as brothers and sisters in Christ, getting us to get our minds off of this earthly temporal space and realizing the work, the heavenly kingdom work that God has given us to do as his subjects. And and here is a stunning declaration that we can make as believers based on that passage that we are now united with Christ in the heavenly places that we can say because of what Christ has already done that everything that is true of Christ right now God considers true of me that my life is hidden in Christ and so all of my flaws all of my sins all of my weaknesses all of my struggles Christ came to this earth and experienced all of those things and he passed the test every single time and now when the father looks at me in relationship he doesn't judge me based on my record he judges me on the basis of Christ perfect and finished record oh man that's and so start good. preaching it yeah, here right I know. now it's like that. how do you follow up with that but one of the things i did want to point out is you know earlier in chapter 2 it talks about you know that we once lived in the passions of our flesh and you really get in that perspective where I don't know if you guys have experienced this, where people or, or women have communicated that they almost feel like the sin still has power over them. Right. And again, another reason of saying, well, what Christ did is saying it's not enough that you still feel like the sin is more powerful than the Holy Spirit that's in work that's in work with you. And so I think sometimes defining terms like justification by saying that we, you know, have been made righteous and and uh, you even talk about propitiation in your book, but realize that the penalty of sin was paid for um, and then in our sanctification process of knowing that the power of sin is is we're made new in Christ and so I don't know if you have any thoughts on that but I think that might be encouraging to some people to to discuss that I think it's or very clarify bring clarification maybe as it regards propitiation it's an amazing thought to think that there for those hours when the wrath of God was being poured out upon Christ for every single believer's sins, every sin that would ever be committed Mm -hmm. by a Christian. Past, present, future. Past, present, future. Mm -hmm. The wrath of the Father was being poured out upon Christ. Mm -hmm. And just to know that because he received and bore that wrath, I will never walk on this earth as a child of God ever facing his wrath. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes when we're going through struggle, I've heard it many times in my office, people feeling very discouraged that God must be angry with me. And the propitiation, the doctrine of propitiation, answers that question with stunning clarity that there's no way that God is treating you in his anger. Because as you said a a moment ago, Shauna, if the Father had to do that, 
what does it say about the work of Christ upon the cross? It wasn't enough. Um, the wrath that was borne out, the, the, the suffering and the punishment that Christ received, received was insufficient. Therefore, now God is having to add a little bit by putting his anger and wrath upon me. That's not the way it works in, in, the, in the Christian life. And so propitiation is very important in biblical counseling because when we have those doubts that maybe God's upset with us or maybe um, he's uh, treating us out of his own anger, well, when we take ourselves to the cross and we remember that Christ has already done that on our behalf, then it frees our minds to not have to wrestle with that, that, that terrifying thought of God being angry with us. Mm-hmm. And it could even connect to where there's some people who, whether they're full on, like, I know I'm an unbeliever, um, they're suppressing the truth, or we have some that believe they're a believer, but not fully living in that and haven't fully surrendered and submitted to, to Jesus um, or the Lord, where you have, you know, God's common grace on the world, where there's so many who are getting so comfortable on how we're able to experience God's common grace and mercy on mm-hmm. the world. We're able to get married, have children, we have taste buds, we can enjoy food. But what's happening is we're getting so comfortable in that common grace that we're missing out on the saving grace yeah. and, and really what it looks like to have uh, trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and um, and experience that new life in Christ and, mm. and living accordingly to it, realizing that here Easter, the resurrection, you know, God's power that resurrected Christ from the dead is the same power that's in that's at work within us. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not something that we, it, that's not boring to be a Christian. You know, that's not, um, oh, I've got to suffer. Oh, it's so heavy and, and a burden now. It's No, this is joyful, and that in itself is enough to be grateful for. There's yes. literally nothing in this world that we will suffer uh, that's greater than the suffering that Christ experienced on the cross. That's right. That's exactly right. So speaking of that, I just want to share something I had in my uh, my study notes for our Bible study on Friday, uh, which the, really the, the title of it is What the Cross Accomplished from Dominion to Devices. In other words, mm-hmm. because of what Christ accomplished, Satan only has devices. He doesn't have dominion anymore. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, you know, as, as a believer. Um, but something that I think that kind of speaks to, you know, the aim of our conversation here, especially when it comes to suffering and pain, um, here, here's a thought, and this is one of the remedies, uh, to dwell on the impotency and weakness of all things here on earth. In other words, what we think that they really truly offer, they're insufficient. They promise a lot, but they always underdeliver. Temporal. Mm-hmm. Temporal versus eternal. In other words, the things of this world can't provide lasting help in our pain or pleasure. Pain and pleasure are Satan's access points for his devices. Look at Christ, for example. Satan couldn't find an inn to tempt Christ because his pleasure was the will of the Father and pain was the will of the Father. Mm. Mm. Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Father to crush him. Wow. So the very pain that we come and we're shaking our fist and we're angry and we're struggling, which there's a level of understanding, like you mentioned last episode, Jeremiah, and, and, and the wrestle of that, but... We need to realize Christ on the cross bore that same pain that we're feeling. Yes. So not only was it the sin, but the pain and suffering that we had and are going through. Shauna, you mentioned past, present, and future. Mm -hmm. That pain and suffering was accomplished in Christ. Mm -hmm. So that's why when God tells Paul, your weakness is made perfect in my strength. 
that's our reality. Mm -hmm. And like, so when we start and all of a sudden, and I think you brought this up last episode, Jeremy, where it just kind of talks about changing our perspective and our pain and suffering. Christ should give us a new perspective on our pain and suffering. Well, and right now we're saying we're trying to minimize pain and maximize pleasure. That's, so then the new perspective is what? The new perspective, look at Christ. His pleasure was the will of the Father, wow. and pain was the will of the Father mm -hmm. yes. for Christ yes. to accomplish what the work that the Father gave him to do for our good and yes. his glory. And this that's mind-blowing to me, man. That just, it is I mean, very that's a mic drop right there. And this is what turns biblical counseling in a very different direction than any other form of counseling because sometimes the Lord allows us to endure very difficult seasons. Mm -hmm. It may not be his will to immediately eradicate anxiety or to immediately make my spouse and I best friends. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in that struggle, when we are not able to pull up our bootstraps and get it together, it's our call to go and meditate on the one who had it together. Mm -hmm. it's, it's our call to go and meditate what we already have in Christ and stop trying to add something extra. Um, and there's a great book out there, and I can't remember the author, but it's called Extravagant Grace. Um, and it's an amazing book, and it's, it's basically centered on the theology of John Newton. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. Mm -hmm. And this book is, is based largely on his theology, which was part of the process of sanctification is becoming more Christ-like outwardly. Mm -hmm. But a part of sanctification is also our hearts truly embracing the full gifts and blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ in what he has already accomplished on mm -hmm. our behalf because mm -hmm. he loved us. Mm -hmm. And that's not a, that's not a, a, a high, like I have expectations of what my life should look like or I deserve this. But when you have a heart and perspective of what you just said, uh, that to me is a heart of humility of saying, I am broken. I am undeserving. The fact that God has given me this or is doing this in my life is, is, I mean, it's an, it's an undescribable gift. I mean, that actually doesn't scripture say, I think it's in second Corinthians that Jesus is the inexpressible or undescribable gift of God. I mean, like what greater gift will we ever get? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so it, it blows my mind that there's so many um, out there that continue to suppress the truth and, um, and don't realize the riches but God, rich in his mercy, in, in Ephesians 2, um, uh, through what, what Christ paid on the cross. What a heavy debt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We, I think we make light of it, you know, yeah. when, we, when we have this mentality of what God should be doing for me. I'm bringing God down from my horizontal perspective and, and say, hey, God, okay, did you get that? And even in the way that I pray versus going to God first and then from that right reverence, then saying, okay, how do I live out horizontal? Yes. Yeah, and I, w I would say that's probably one of the biggest permeations in the American culture and the American gospel, really, is this meism or this selfism, mm -hmm. uh, which you obviously talk about in the book as well, um, where when we tell people God loves you, I almost get to the point where I almost don't even want to say that anymore because because of the the state of our culture is like that saying, oh, you love God loves me. That's great because I love me too. Mm -hmm. like, well, so now, well, because the whole love has turned into a right, whole nother word. Right. They don't, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. So it just because of our culture, it's like I don't want to take away from the truth that, yeah, God does love you. But it's like I almost there's a level of hesitation there with me because I feel like they people hear that. That's all they hear. So they take that as like 
okay, God's going to accept me for me. And so I can continue to do what I'm doing. There's no, there's no level of remorse, godly guilt for what they're doing. Um, and so it, God becomes a supplement versus the sustenance of their life. That's good. So, yep. And that's largely driven by psychology and the culture and that, you know, we are taught that we are unique and special in and of ourselves versus having a self-image that is drawn from God's perspective. Mm-hmm. I even think that um, the whole identity in Christ even has been skewed in our culture because it even turned uh, our focus on me. Yes. Um, it was like my identity in Christ, and it lost the Christ part, but just like my identity. And um, and I feel like Christ got lost in that in reality of saying, what does my identity in Christ really mean? It's about God and his work in me, and then how do I live that out? Not like, oh, here's who I am. Mm-hmm. All about me, me, me. You know? Yeah, that's good. And so just to... Uh, just to clarify, it's Extravagant Grace by Barbara. Is it Duguid? D-U-G-U-I-D? I'm not sure. So, but I'll have it in the show notes anyway, but just wanted I, to. I believe that she is actually a part of the CCEF because yes, that's where I bought is. the book and yeah, where I met Ed her Welch for the first time. I think, forward, I think mm-hmm, when we first met her was when her book first came out. I met her son at the at the table. Yeah. Um, and man, when I read that book, that was, that's an awesome book. It's, it's actually like needs to be, we need to probably publicize that in a way of like getting people to read that because I feel like she's, uh, it's just kind of getting lost in the mixture of all mm-hmm. these books out there. Well, so that's a good recommendation. Yeah. Um, so put that so, one in the show notes, I guess. Is what yeah, I will. And just really quickly on that note, uh, for any of our listeners who are looking for good resources, uh, we will be coming out with some stuff like that. Just kind of like a, a reading pathway just for good resources and material uh, that go beyond the scope of specific biblical counseling, you know, material that focus more on just like what's a good general scope of reading uh, to kind of get the idea of discipleship and theology, practical theology and all those pieces. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll definitely have that coming soon. So so when we think about Christ, years ago when I first joined our church, uh, Fort Worth PCA, Presbyterian Church, I remember... Love those Presbys. Yeah, you got to mm-hmm, love the Presbys. Mm-hmm. I was new, actually, to the Reformed faith, and my pastor there, Mike Sherrod, at the time, really took me under his wing and, and discipled me. But I remember a phrase that he, uh, that he spoke in a sermon, and I'll never forget it. This was probably 15 years ago or more, uh, but it struck me because I had tended to live my life very different from this comment. He said, when you become a, a believer, you are not free from struggle you become free to struggle. And Mm. the more I have learned about the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ and what he's done, that he, you know, according to the book of Hebrews, he entered our suffering and he experienced our suffering and he was tempted as we are, yet was without sin. So he, he experienced everything we've ever experienced and he overcame that in very specific ways. You know, a, a, one simple example, you know, someone comes in that's struggling with an eating disorder, for example. We know of a moment in Christ's life where he was tempted with food. He was in the desert, and yeah. the, evil, the evil one came to him. Forty days without food, you kidding me? Yes, and he tempted him. And, and Christ had to have been suffering in that time. That had to be, have been very difficult, but he passed the test when it came to struggles with food and and what that means to the young girl who has the the obsessive impulsive uh, 
tendency to binge and purge. It feels uncontrollable. And she's in counseling and she's saying to herself, I'm going to get better. I'm going to overcome this. And the next four days, it's the worst pattern of her life. That's when she can come back to that moment with Christ in the desert and say, thank you. Father, you overcame this struggle in a very specific way. And now my mess for the last four days is hidden in your perfection. And so this, this high theological stuff like propitiation and Jesus being his righteousness being imputed to us, you know, that can stay in the ivory tower or we as biblical counselors have the privilege to bring the beauty of that down to the level of the young girl who's, who's struggling with something like anorexia. Powerful stuff. Powerful. Well, powerful, I mean, I, I can tell you stuff. right now, like just uh, reading reading your book, I have I have grown as a counselor a hundred percent, but then also in just all honesty, convicted in a lot of ways of saying, you know, I can easily from leading a Bible study at church or in one on one just random conversations, like be the theology geek and and talk about these big words, but often I lead them out of the counseling session, mm. and we really can get stuck for um, you know a lot of the majority of the time. I'm just talking about the circumstances, like what's happening from a horizontal perspective and not giving enough time uh, to redirect and make sure that I'm defining words and encouraging them in scripture, not only in what I'm finding, not teaching them the scripture or even reading it myself, but having them read the scripture and then say, you know, you can do this for yourself. You know, you can mm-hmm. read the scripture and what are you learning helping from it? Helping them become feeders, yeah, self-feeders. It, it, it actually yeah. blows my mind um, how, how many people that I meet um, that have been in the church for years and have never learned a Bible study method or mm-hmm. how to interact with scripture themselves. So if you think that, which to me would be one of the basics to then talking about propitiation and all these other terminologies, that learning the definitions and how to actually define them, the power and the impact it can make in someone's life. I mean, I know it changed mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you again for just writing a book like this. Um, that not only encourages us as counselors, but I just think anyone from an individual standpoint um, and just basic discipleship would would um, would really benefit from it. Yeah, that's good. So I think that'll conclude our time today uh, as far as Jesus is concerned and the uh, finished work that he accomplished that allows us to do what we do in counseling and, and offer new life. Um, but our next episode will be on the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, this is really coming from Jeremy's book and just looking at the economical reality of the Trinity, the Godhead at work in and through his people. Uh, in their brokenness, specifically in counseling, but then just uh, in our personal ministries, and we all uh, can grow from this. Um, So next time, we will be looking at the Holy Spirit in counseling.